You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Time to fire up the VCR. This one's my favorite. Temple of Film. I'm Steve. And I'm Matt. And this is a VHS podcast that looks at the box art trailers and behind the scenes. So, what did we rent this week? This week we picked up the last in our Before There Were Stars marathon. We picked up Cherry 2000. Everybody's looking for love. Some never find it. Honey? Kiss me. Others have all the luck. But in the year 2017, that luck can run out. Can you fix her? I'm sorry, kid. Find yourself a tracker named Johnson. He'll get you a cherry. I need Johnson. I think I made a mistake. I want you to go into Zone 7 and get me one just like her. This isn't a dating service. Those robot chassis are kept in the worst part of the zone. We call it the graveyard. You got the job. That's what I figured. Been this way a hundred times before. Woo! And this made Melanie Griffith, well, it didn't make her a star, but this was before she was a star. I guess Working Women, I believe that was the movie that made her like a star star. Which was the next year, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So this was right before she blew up. Yes. So I rented this mostly because this uh, box art, which she'll explain later, is awesome. Yes. Um, I. Well. What are, are we going to talk about our kind of history with this yeah, movie we'll, right now? Yeah, we'll get into Because uh, I was just going to say, I had always heard the title of this movie, but I had never seen this. Yeah, I picked this up at Monster Mania in New Jersey. And we went there, and uh, one of the vendors had this, and I was with uh, Scott from Horror Movie Night. Scott from Horror Movie Night. And we grabbed it surely based on... We kind of had heard of the name, like you said, but I mean, this box art... When there's a flying car on a crane, sold. Yeah. No, like, I, I had only heard the title, and then I had always sort of heard that, like, oh, this is what this movie's called, and it's good. People like this movie. I knew that people kind of liked this movie, but I just, for whatever reason, missed it. Never saw it. Small history behind this. You know, it's it's a small budget film, $10 million. It was taped in 1985, but it wasn't released until the late end of 1987. And the reason of that was Orion Pictures was going through some financial problems. They had some ownerships moving over, and I believe the Fox Network, uh, Murdoch, one of his companies actually purchased a little bit of Orion at the time, uh, which I just thought was a fascinating fact for all you Fox lovers out there. Yeah, right, because you listen to all our episodes. (laughs) And then uh, one of the movies, I guess, that really hurt Orion at the time was Francis Ford Coppola's The Cotton Club. So, I mean, stuff like that ended up shelving this until late 87. But 87 is when Orion bounced back with RoboCop. Oh, yeah. In a big way. (laughs) 1987 is kind of like Orion's year. Because they had Platoon. Oh, yeah. Hoosiers. RoboCop and No Way Out with Kevin Costner. So, and I think that was Kevin Costner's like first hit. 
And it, it maybe, could be. It could be. No, it could be. I'm trying to think back and like, yeah, you could. That could very well be it because that was before Dances with Wolves and all that shit. So yeah, yeah, huge year. And then, of course, Working Girl. Everyone apparently knew was going to be a hit, so Orion just jumped on that, which we've seen many, many companies do. Uh, one of the famous ones is um, Jerry Maguire with, who am I thinking? Old Lemon Face. Looks like she's always bit into a lemon. Uh, Renee Zellweger. Yes. I like how you knew that. Yes. I probably didn't even have to give you Jerry Maguire and you would have got that. Yes. She did the next uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre Next Generation. Right. And they did, it's the same thing with Matthew McConaughey in it. They knew they, they were going to blow up and they were like, oh, we got to put this out. <laughs> was, that, was that New Line who shelled it? And then put, that was New Line's Texas Chainsaw because they bought it with the third one. It might have been, but it, ultimately I think it was Sony that ended up releasing it. Oh, really? Probably because they just said, fuck it. Well, and it's Sony, which is known for, especially at that time period, Godzilla 98. Yeah, I mean, right. They went through a tough... Tough batch. Yeah. You know, kind of like where they're at right now. Yes. <laughs> Matt, you want to break down the box art on this? Yeah. So this is, this is why you picked this one up. This is why you rented this tape for us. Our cover here has... An awesome like logo for Cherry Two Thousand. It like both looks like a like a fifties car meets like that Terminator kind of like steel look about it. Cherry Two Thousand with the tagline underneath the title being the technological fantasy of the future. It's a great tagline. I would also like to bring up the font. How it has multiple gradients in it going down. That's exactly what Analog Jones font has in it. We, it was meant to be. Yes. We were connected to Cherry 2000 from the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) The picture we have here is we have our hero male character with uh, what looks like maybe a gun or something thrown over his shoulder, looking cool, looking at like, looking at the audience. We've got uh, Melanie Griffith sort of laying down, looking kind of seductive, looking towards us. Seductive but cool. You know who I thought it was at first was What's Your Name from 16 Candles. Yeah, she kind of has like the Molly Ringwald yes. bob cut type thing. Yeah. With this. I um, think Scott thought the same thing too. He was like, is that Molly Ringwald? No, that's Melanie Griffith. <laughs> Melanie Griffith, uh, right before blowing up. <laughs> um, and then within like sort of like these uh, Star Trek like beaming up <laughs> layers of light here. Which really makes no sense for that character, the actual robot Cherry 2000. Yes. Other than maybe futuristic. Yeah, that's probably what they're trying to say. Yeah. And she's looking at us as well. So we've got all three of them looking at us. And then on the, the right sort of corner chunk of it is the car being lifted in the air with somebody hanging off of it. Uh, all against like this like sunset, like magic hour, red purple sky. Um, and then we've got several taglines on here besides the one I read already. We've got at the top, she's blonde, beautiful, and forever young. She's Cherry 2000, a robotic woman that becomes a man's driving passion. And then further down, until he meets the real thing. I always find this funny because Cherry 2000, I obviously thought Melanie Griffin's character was that. Would be Cherry. That's what I, that's immediately what I thought. Bright red hair and everything, like clearly fake bright red hair. Yeah. Yeah. So right when this movie, we'll get into it, right when it starts, you find out the uh, female sex robot is called Cherry 2000, which I was just so confused. 
But that's not only the weirdest thing in this. We'll get to it. It gets weird. <laughs> Flipping it over to the back here, um, we've got sort of a mid-passion sex scene moment between Cherry and our lead male uh, in one of the stills. Like, that's kind of graphic for a video release, a PG-13 video release. And then we've got another still of Melanie Griffith looking cool with the gun pointed at us and her scope as she's looking, you know, off in the distance. And in the distance. Yes. And here, here's our description of the film. So if you've never heard of this film at all, ever, this is, this is what you're in for here. In the loveless, loveless, lawless society of the year 2017, yeah, they were right, high-performance high cars have taken a backseat to flawless robotic women as every man's driving passion. And there's never been anything like Cherry 2000, Pamela Gidley, the ultimate robotic love machine, blonde, beautiful, and designed to always please her master. In a fit of passion on a wet kitchen floor, Sam Treadwell, David Andrews, permanently short circuits, circuits his Cherry 2000 and promptly sets out to find a replacement parts reincarnate his perfect man-made woman. Enlisting the aid of a strong-willed red-headed female tracker, E. Johnson, Melanie Griffith, the two set off to, for the feared lawless zone, the only place where Cherry 2000 parts still exist. As E. Johnson battles bands of killer outlaws, Trudel discovers that the determined redhead is different from anything he's ever known. She's a real flesh-and-blood woman who's not afraid to show emotion or speak her mind, and Trudel begins to experience a feeling he's never felt before, the love for another human. 99 Minutes, 1988, PG-13. Yeah, I thought they gave away a little too much in that synopsis. Maybe pull it back. Yeah, they really lay it all out there for yeah. me, because that is, that is the film. But is that something these directive videos do? Well, I mean, you gotta hook people somehow. So I guess gotta. I guess some people. Because most people are never gonna see the trailers on these. I'll be honest. When I was renting movies like this, I never read the description. I just looked at the pictures, and I was like, "This looks like a cool movie." I don't. I don't. I. I mean, I read the title. I read the tagline, but I don't think I ever stood in a video store and ever read these descriptions. I feel like. I don't know, this may just be me, maybe I'm weird. I would read them after I watched the movie and be like, what did they say about this movie? But like, I never, I was never a reader of the descriptions. I, was, I sort of wanted to go in blind just based on the, the actual stills they put on here or the badass cover art. I probably mentioned this in another podcast, but my brothers and I would make up the stories from the, all the pictures. Mm -hmm. And I think it was just a way of guessing to see if we were right. But yeah, definitely always picked off from the box art. Yeah, yeah, that's what I cared about. That's what I was signing up for, for real. We pick everything from the cover. <laughs> we're still doing that today, and we're still wondering maybe we shouldn't always do that today. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, never change, never change that. So let's uh, pop this bad boy in. And we notice right away there, there's no trailers. Damn it. Yeah, we go. I thought I thought we were going to because we get that Orion home video logo, mm -hmm. but then it just leads into the Orion like theatrical logo. So when we pop it in, we get introduced right away to Sam Treadwell, which is played by David Andrews, which is a character or which is a character actor that really improved the older he got. I don't know him. What else has he been? In? He was in Terminator Salvation, the one you like. Who is he in that? 
He was the the general. Really? So he's yeah. still working. Okay. No, he is. He actually does a lot of roles. He's been in a lot of TV, and he's a he's got a very stern look now with a short haircut, very military looking. He oh, found his niche. Yeah. Okay, I can see him older now. Yeah. No, uh, he is good. Yeah, for sure. But like he he definitely just has one of these like kind of character face character actor faces in this movie. Well, in this film, he does a lot of the looking off in the distance and has a really dumb look on his face a lot. And he got rid of that. (laughs) I still think he's not bad in this movie, though. Well, he's a good kind of blank slate. Yeah, it's it's the thing we've talked about before. We can project ourselves onto this character. Yeah. That's the idea. It's really a lot of these leading men. It's not so much of an insult when I say it. It's they kind of strip away any extreme personality trait. They might give them one or two. But yes, it's always so we can just be that character. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That That's what they're doing with him here. Uh, there's and just like, I know we're going to break it down and get into everybody, but just like overall, I don't think there's really a weak link for actors at all in this movie. Some strong acting from everybody involved, I thought. Yeah, I, I mean, all the, we'll get into it, but all the character actors fit their weird niche well. Yeah. Absolutely. So it starts off with him meeting Cherry 2000, and she makes him a wonderful dinner in this magnificent future apartment that an executive at a recycling plant would live in. Yeah, I, I love that 2017's future is like keeping the dream of like the 80s yuppie, super rich lifestyle, uh, keeping that alive. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, like their fancy dishwasher. Yeah, and by I did air quotes on the fancy because it's really just a dome that you shove stuff. In. It's like a washing machine, right? Uh, what? Well, but yeah. yeah, it's very odd. And she makes a really shitty looking dinner, which she doesn't even eat. Then they yeah, start. Yeah, like she to... makes like she. It's like I made your favorite, and she pulls out what looks like a microwaved hamburger and French fries on like a children's plate. <laughs> well, and they have like futuristic looking champagne glasses. Yeah, but. Like, currently, store-bought ketchup. Yes. Like, it looks straight up like the brand X of Heinz. Yeah. So... It's pretty hilarious. I love it. I was already in yes. at that point. <laughs> she starts the dishwasher, doesn't close the lid or whatever. They have sex. Apparently, water short-circuits her. And his, his fake love of his life breaks. Then, he go, then we go right into what this whole movie's about. Cherry 2000 is no longer manufactured. The guy that he takes it to, like the mechanic shop, the mm-hmm. robot mechanic shop, yeah. can't fix her. And he's like, listen, bud, I got all these other robots, but not a Cherry 2000. That one you're going to have to go to the manufacturer in Zone 7, which is the lawless land. Right. And then we're off. He's like, ah, go find yourself a tracker. I hear Six Finger Jake is the man to talk to. Yeah, basically, the, yeah, it really starts us right off. And I really, because I didn't know the plot of this movie, I was really like, oh, oh, we're moving. Like, this is, here we go. Like, this movie doesn't waste any time. Yeah, they do do the, like, where the character has to think about it. Because he goes back to his mundane life. Yeah, for like a day. Yeah, yeah. we see him being uh, haggled by the uh, two bro-y co-workers that are like, come out with us, get a real woman. 
Yeah. Is so, that is that Marshall Bell, one of the guys the other from character? Total Recall? Yeah. Yes. Okay. I thought so. Yeah, we find out he works at a recycling plant because basically all raw material in 2017 is gone and now we have to recycle everything. So there's something this movie got wrong. <laughs> <laughs> everything was being recycled, but they were like the air was like cleaner and things were well, this is an 80s movie who did the future, dystopian future, but they didn't have a nuclear blast or nuclear right. fallout. They just did, couldn't make any more raw material. Yeah, that's it. We just ran out of raw material. We didn't run out of water or anything. Uh, yeah, I would say, like, if this is supposed to be dystopian, I'd say 2017 was actually worse than this dystopian world. Like, yeah, we don't have Zone 7s, but, like... Well, what no, we do, I it's, mean... It's, it's Kentucky, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow! <laughs> Just taking a shot at Kentucky there. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. But you know what I mean. Did you have a bad road trip through to Kentucky? I just went, No, I just went to Kentucky this weekend, and actually it was fine. <laughs> and I think that's the only reason it was on my brain, but I was like, go for a redneck state. And that's why I asked that. I would say Louisiana. Mm, but they have, they have uh, New Orleans, and that's fine swerving back into this film. Yes. So I was going to say the dystopia that they're presenting here is actually not as bad as like where we're at actually in the future. I think we're... I, I don't think it's... No, I'd rather live now than the cherry 2000s. I don't want sex robots. Well, I don't want a sex robot, but like if we are living in a world where that's just sort of like what preoccupies everybody else, I can't... That's not a bad thing. I'll tell you what they kind of accidentally hit where... It's like everyone's disconnected. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They nailed that. That was pretty good. Uh, now, obviously, their disconnection is different. Theirs is only through love. Our disconnection is usually through social. social. And that's especially the younger generations. And I'm not a masher on younger generations. I love the younger generations. I'm a millennial, so I constantly get shit on like you. Right. Yes, yes. And I don't think millennials are shitty at all. Um, but so, I have talked to a lot of younger kids, and it takes three to four seconds for them to lift their face out of their iPads yes, or iPhones. Yes. And then, yeah, there's a pretty funny scene early on when they do finally get him out, uh, when the Marshall Bell and the other broy guy get him out. And, like, they go to the club, and basically they do use computers to hook up the uh, compatible mates at the bar. But then, like, the funny thing that is just so, like, super 80s yuppie is, like, they have to sign, like, disclosure agreement, non-disclosure agreements and things like that with their lawyers present. <laughs> yes. And then we get a Larry Fishburne yes. appearance for yes. maybe 30 seconds. And let me play it for you right here. Okay. Let's see. Talking about a standard one-night arrangement, right? I guess. Yeah. Right, so we'll say a dinner, complete sexual encounter, full penetration, optional episode in the morning, right? Just slow down. You know, I personally thought it would be nice. Let me see this. My lawyer better see this one. For instance, the oral clause here seems a little sticky. It's a minor, minor point. We can work it out in bed. Hey, you work it out in bed, because I'm not going to be there. No deal, no deal. There you go. Uh, Larry. Can't miss him. Yeah. That's definitely uh, Mr. Lawrence Fishburne there. So we find out that people hook up. They go to these bars. I guess because there's so few cities. I don't think this movie explains this well. When I read about the story, I understood that there's only so there's only like four or five cities 
living, uh, healthy living areas for people. Oh, see, I didn't get that. I just thought that this was their particular area. Yeah, it, it's really because they don't do a good job of explaining it. Because uh, really, it's not important to the story. Yeah, I didn't need it, but yeah, I was curious. I literally thought it was just. That Anaheim Maybe area. that's why you don't like you think. Like, yeah, I didn't yeah, think it was okay. that bad. I was like, oh, Anaheim has some no man's land zones. Okay, but the rest seems fine. But if the whole world's like that, okay, I'll backtrack. I'll backpedal that then. But they, what I couldn't get is is the rest of the world like that, or is it just the United North America? That that is yeah. something we never get in the story. Oh well. So he's like, you know what? I don't want a real woman. I'm going to find a tracker to go into Zone 7 to get me another Cherry 2000. And we should also mention the mini disc that carries all of her memory, which is kind of cool. Yes. Uh, we don't use mini discs now. Uh, that vibe hype went out and left just as, just as fast because yeah. we don't need it. We have the cloud now. Yeah, we don't need mini discs to carry around. We just throw everything up in space and hope it's still there when we come back. <laughs> the magic memory fairies. Uh, it's just random sidebar. I still don't understand the cloud. I understand the cloud. I get the basic surface level of the cloud. You put all your stuff there and it saves it and you don't have to worry about taking up like a hard drive. But the, but the real nitty-gritty of the cloud, I don't understand. <laughs> I could sit here for five minutes and explain to you why, but I think I'm going to keep with the image of a magic memory fairy. Yes, I would rather not know. I like <laughs> ignorance is bliss. <laughs> like every time you press save, they float down and they're like, thank you. Yes. You could tell me that that is actually the truth. And I'd be like, okay, sure. That makes sense. <laughs> well, why would a fairy ever be mean and lose my data? Exactly. It's not going to happen. Yeah, no, that's their job. It's their one job, and they, they take a lot of pride in their work. So they do. Yeah, I would, I would, I believe you. Moving on, he <laughs> he goes to a place called the Glory Ho Hotel, which right away we see a certain character actor, Mister Robert Zadar. Yes. Well, we didn't. Did we even cover uh, who else was in? The, oh. When he is at the... Oh, no, this is the scene, because we get another character. Oh, all right, all right, I'm getting ahead of myself. Well, I don't know how he gets to the bar where he's looking for Jake, Six yes. Finger Jake, but he goes from the hotel, and the hotel lets you know we don't carry sex robots. We have real women. Yes, yes. I, Somehow he goes to this hotel, and then someone tells him, like, oh, you should go check out the bar next door. That's where Six Finger Jake hides out. And then we go from Robert Cesar, which, by the way, if you guys would like to Google Robert Cesar in this movie, you will see him in one of the most bizarre outfits that the movie never explains. And that's basically all Robert Cesar is in this film. Yeah, he's in two scenes. He's in this scene and the later scene in the movie. That's it. Wacky. Yeah, and he's in, a, what, did, what did you say? It was like a cowboy hat, Well, I think a vest he's in with a, no shirt and short shorts? Yes, with boots. Wonderful. Just just wonderful. And literally at the moment when they got to the Glory Hole Hotel, and that's literally the name of it, I was like, I am so into this movie right now. <laughs> like, this movie is just wearing its weird on its sleeve, and I love it. Sarah was confused about the bar. Mm. Sarah watched this with me. She was confused about the bar. She's like, well, why are they in the bar? And I go, oh, to find uh, someone to hook up with. And she's like... So, like, a bar? And I'm like, yes, but this bar? And so, like, all these explanations I had to give yeah. her. And then she's like, why is that guy dressed like that? And I'm like, no clue. <laughs> Can not tell you. <laughs> but you know what? I was very excited to see Robert Zadar in this movie because this is still pre-Maniac Cop, right? 
this around the time of Maniac Cop? You know, I don't remember when Maniac Cop is, but it's it's somewhere in the mid to late eighties. Yeah, it's gotta be. Yeah, it's it's really close to Maniac Cop, so he wasn't doing a lot of other stuff at this time. So I was really excited to see him in this. <laughs> and if you're excited to see him, you must have been really excited also to see Brian James come that's up in the very next scene. I was that's who I was gonna mention because I got confused. I thought he was in the last scene in the bar, but he's in the other bar when he goes to find the tracker, Six Finger Jake. He meets up with some uh, kind of undesirable characters who think that, that think they can lead him to Six Finger Jake. And one of them is Mr. Brian James, who is amazing. What the hell is he wearing? Is he, this is the one weird, wonderful weird thing about this movie is like, I couldn't figure out if they're all trying to be like futuristic cowboys or futuristic steampunk or cyberpunk. This, this would be cyberpunk, correct? Yeah, this is yeah. this is cyber cowboys. I don't think it... It's not so much cyberpunk, but it is cyber-related. Something. So it's like cyber-western. And I, I think that's fucking awesome. <laughs> Melanie Griffith is kind of cyberpunkish, And the yes, rest of the is, crew is. is cyber cowboy. Yes. What? <laughs> Love it. <laughs> uh, and there's a lot of 50s elements in this movie. That also mixes into that, which yes. is bizarre. Some of the, the the futuristic stuff, like especially that we see in the city, is this cross between like that fifties futurism look and like the eighties yuppie neon look. Like it is a cool combination of two eras. Well, even the recycling plant was very much Brazil like. Yes. So uh, Brian James tries to hold up Sam because he's got the memory of Cherry Two Thousand, which is worth a lot for some odd reason. Uh, that's just what propels this movie, and they do an awful job of holding him up. So then he decides to hire Melanie Griffith, which earlier was too expensive, and considering Six Finger Jake is quote-unquote dead, mm. he's got no real choice. She's the only professional one here. So they suit up, they get in her Mustang. I think it's either a Mustang or a Camaro. No, it's I, a Mustang. Is it a Mustang? Yeah. Uh, they suit up in her, bust through a barricade, which really funny because that Mustang is unhurt. This Mustang takes a fucking beating throughout this whole movie and is relatively fine for most of the runtime. Well, I noticed I noticed they, they must have used two Mustangs because later in the shoot, I noticed the front is different, like the structure of it. Mm. So I'm thinking they fucked the first one up. And they're like, oh, damn it. We got to use our backup. Don't fuck this one up. This yeah. is all we got. Yeah. And that's why they do less with the car. Probably, yeah. They're like, <laughs> all right, we got to get this car out of the movie for the next 45 minutes because we only got this one. We got to make it count. So they go straight into it. Uh, she finds out that he's looking... Well, she already knew he's looking for a Cherry 2000, but she finds out why. He's kind of pathetic. He can't talk to regular women. Right. He needs that sort of... I can't think of the right word. He needs word, an like, airhead that well, won't like, challenge him. Yeah, exactly. No challenge. He needs it, the barriers to be down and just for somebody to just unconditionally love him for no reason. That's what he needs. Then we're quickly introduced to Lester, which is played by Tim... Thomerson. Thomerson? Tom- Tim Thomerson, who, no surprise here, is my favorite character in this film. <laughs> well, any of you Full Moon fans are going to know him from Trancers. Yes, he's Jack Death, uh, and he's Brick Bardo and Dollman as well. So he is... That's right, yeah. He's, he's yeah. in both of those Full Moon franchises. But besides my love of uh, Full Moon stuff, 
God, is he amazing in this movie. He is the most delicious bad guy in this. Well, they cast someone opposite of Sam Treadwell that was just full of life. And we this has become a running theme in a lot of these movies we do. We get a blank slate good guy, and we get an over-the-top delicious bad guy. Yeah. And he is just bizarre. He is a health nut. He's super sensitive. Yes. Like he really he can't take criticism. He's super sensitive about and, everything. And anyone who is super uh, super sensitive to negativity always uses this card of we must stay positive in all circumstances stay positive yes yes he says that like what five six seven times yeah, in the that's film? his that's his like thing in this movie so you give me that in a bad guy and i'm immediately like yep love that <laughs> he's also kind of i think a womanizer but i can't really tell because he never kisses any women but he wakes up with a woman right he is well he is constantly surrounded by women yeah but he never it never shows him like being sexually prowling you know no. he's not prowling them no. he's, i don't understand but i i think they're all robots and i think they're just all programmed to sort of follow him around and maybe it's not a sexual thing for him it's a you know like vindication for him he, like it is just like people that be positive around him all the time oh it makes him feel better about himself right. i think that's okay. what it really is so he's yeah. like kind of a womanizer but not like he's he's just surrounding himself with these robot women to make himself feel good like right. not even like to have sex with them which is just hilarious and another great layer to his character <laughs> yeah so they have to get across this reservoir that uh, this character, Lester, is mining something out of, which I don't think they ever tell us what they're mining. Mm -hmm. We just know whatever it is, it's important to corporations in the city. They need it. So he basically works for them. Mm. But he's also his own man. It's his own business. Right. He's so, a self-made. So he's the Republican in this. Yeah. I, I, I thought that was interesting because Sam is also the Republican in this. Yes. Like, when I looked at this, I was like, okay, I think someone right here is trying to say something, but I couldn't figure it well, out. If they're, if they're both the Republican here, they're saying something about Republicans because in the end, uh, Sam is the one that changes and he goes for the real woman and suddenly drops all of his materialistic concerns and everything like that. So it's, it's well, another maybe one it's of these. not a Democrat-Republican thing. It's a material thing. Well, I think, I think it's just a... Uh, a uh, comment on like sort of this conservative, yeah, capitalistic, well, maybe it's capitalistic consumerism, consumerism thing. Yeah. But yeah, not necessarily like Democrat versus uh, Republican, but it is definitely a comment on conservatism, capitalism for sure. Yeah, they both are the good guy and the bad guy are the, both that way. This feels like a scriptwriter who's trying to say something really smart, but he or she doesn't quite know how to pull it off so they end up just pulling off like a fun weird sci-fi flick i don't know there is something kind of, not necessarily about their commentary that they have here but there is something smart about the script because the way the movie moves and the razor sharp dialogue is too good for a movie like this yes the only one who doesn't have razor sharp dialogue is melanie griffin which is very much the teenager in this. But she is... I'm not with, saying she's a bad actress in no, this. No, I was going to say, but in a weird way, the and this could have just been an accident that happened when they were making the movie, she becomes sort of like this feminist-like 
powerhouse without like the movie calling attention to it, without the movie being like, look at this female empowerment here, but she becomes such a powerful female throughout this movie well, effortlessly. Well, I mean, she basically is doing all the work throughout this until the end where you find out Sam was a veteran resistance fighter or something in the past. Yeah. Like he has veteran military connections, which at the beginning of the film, you could not tell because he was basically useless. But again, I think that's a testament to the, that's a good testament to the script that like this whole time you're like thinking he's one thing. And then at the end, you're realizing what he really is. Tulip found a way to get into our podcast, even though she's no longer in the room because we are in a new apartment. <laughs> yes, we are in a new recording studio right now. Behind the scenes for y'all. Yes. I just got done moving and it was awful. <laughs> but I'm so glad it's done. So moving on with it, they try to get her across this reservoir. She does it the hardest way possible, but what might be the funnest for all the stuntmen and your eyes is they get a magnetic crane, they pick up the car, and they're going to drift it over the reservoir and just drop it. But that's exactly what she wants. But she wants to be dropped in a certain spot. So she hits it with a rocket launcher. There's gunfire. She's killing a bunch of people. He kind of becomes useful because he takes the reins of the car while she's firing the rocket. They fall down in the reservoir. Somehow don't die. Which, okay. And the car doesn't die. (laughs) And they find six-fingered Jake, which we find out isn't dead. Mm-hmm. He's retired. Mm-hmm. And then they sit down, have themselves a powwow, and eat burnt lizard. Yes. Yes. But yeah, that's what happens. Uh, the, the scene in which they are swinging, though, from the magnet is incredible. Like, there are literal stunt people swinging off of these high-lifted cars. And it is spectacular. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't look up the director and a few other people involved in the making of this because I was too involved with all the actors. Guarantee you someone calling the shots in this was a stunt director. Yeah, and this was their big money shot for oh, sure. They, they were, like, we're going to have people swinging from a crane lift on a car and it's going to be amazing. And fuck, they nailed it. <laughs> yeah, you have a Mustang. Yes. So there you go. There's a car person. You've got your magnetic crane, which is a completely real stunt with people swinging off. Later on, we get a plane. We get uh, ATVs. Mm. This is a stunt person. Someone was just like, man, give me all these vehicles on the B-lot. I'm going to fucking make a movie out of it. This is kind of like a small, low-budget, American Mad Max kind of thing. In a way, but it's not centered around cars. But you could have. You could have, but the way, yeah, the, the scenes that are, like this scene and the plane chase later, it does feel very Mad Maxy, but in like a very American way. Because you've got this American muscle car. I will point out, this is fun, ridiculous, over the top. For any of you realists out there, this will annoy you because it makes no sense. But try to turn off your brain and just have fun because stunt people are busting their ass. Yeah, it's it's it may not be feasible, but everything you're seeing is real. There is a car swinging in the air with a person literally hanging off of like the window for real. Like the no CGI, this is before all that. Like there is someone actually doing this. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. But when we get down there, uh, into the reservoir, uh, Six Finger Jake 
is showing him around. Lester goes in with his men. Somehow Sam gets knocked out and he is taken along with another tracker somehow to Lester's village. Now, when I said there was 50s elements, this is the biggest use of the 50s elements. When we get to his compound, I guess Uh you could say, it is based off a 1950s motel. Yes. We've got the neon, like, old strip Vegas lights. Uh The girls are all in their 50s bikinis laying out in the sun. There are definitely some flamingos somewhere in that. (laughs) Gotta be. (laughs) So, to me, this was outside of Vegas. And this is when the movie truly becomes a out-in-the-desert dystopian 80s film. Yeah. And this, like, really is the last half hour of this movie. Like, it's fucking flies by. Yeah, see, the pacing is a little choppy at in the first half because they're setting up a lot. Now, they're jumping from place to place, which I give a small-budget film a lot of credit. Uh, that takes a lot of your money from your budget. They went from a factory, from bars, to uh, apartment sets. So these are all different sets. Mm-hmm. And you know what? They're like, okay, if we're going to do that at the beginning, the end of this all has to be out in the desert. We just can't keep flipping sets like this. Yeah. Because anytime you look up movie budgets, travel and getting all the equipment there soaks up so much budget. I can, yeah, I can imagine that, especially with this movie, because I can't imagine going to all these different, very real locales. I, I learned that. Killer. I learned that from uh, Sam Raimi's Sam Raimi's book when it talked about his stories of the Evil Deads. Like when he got and goes farther along when he's part of other movies, Dark Man stuff. They get out in the desert. We're in this hotel compound. We find out that Lester runs this place kind of like the military. Yeah. They get up every morning. They exercise. The women prepare all the meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Breakfast is very important for people working out. They do their work during the day. They come home and the women make them dinner. And when they're sitting around this dinner, they all have to sit at the table. Yeah. At a big, huge family banquet. And they have a tracker there in Sam. But we don't know the other guy's a tracker yet. And a really sadistic. They make the other guy put on a bag with a bullseye. And he's freaking out and everything. And then Lester stands him up and is going to shoot him in the head because for some reason they hate trackers. I don't mm-hmm. know why, though. Because they encroach on their territory, yeah. I'm assuming. And instead of shooting him in the head with a bullet, he pulls out a bow and arrow and just pops him yeah. right in the head. And it kind of stunned me and Sarah. I didn't think... I, I thought maybe he was going to make him run. Make him sport. But basically they tortured him because he was waiting for it to come and like... They got him standing up against that wall for a while. They like tie him up, and then he's like, it's, he's like twisting and trying to get out of there, and like he's gonna shoot him. Then he takes his time to be like, no, 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 give me that bow and arrow. And like this, all the while, this guy's squirming on the wall. It's pretty fucked up. Yeah, it's it's quiet and it's really awkward. And I think that's a, that adds a nice other layer to Lester's character of just like, ooh, he's just all these fun little weird quirky things, but he is a monster still too. Yeah, it's great. A, this it's is great. a cold blood killer. Yes. And he has no remorse. Yes. So they, for some reason, they let Sam join. Well, it's not for some reason. The reason Sam is allowed to join their comp- compound 
is because when he gets there, he finds out his ex-girlfriend Elaine is there, which is now called Ginger. Yes. And I have a theory on Ginger that I heard someone else say that Sarah and I both came up with. So Ginger is odd. Right. Cherry is odd. Yes. At the end of this film, we were like, Cherry, Ginger, are they both robots? Mm-hmm. But they never say if Ginger is. Right. But she is definitely a robot. She's got to be. Yeah, she was probably his old... They, she says an old girlfriend. She was probably his old uh, model or whatever, and he upgraded to Cherry. Because she's weird as shit. Like, she's obsessed with making sandwiches. Which I love. I just love that. Like, it's it's so, so weird. weird. It's so odd. She's like, <laughs> I gotta make sandwiches for everybody. You guys have to have sandwiches. She eats the sandwiches, too. Like, And so does Cherry at the yeah, end. Yeah, they eat sandwiches together at the end because they're both robots. <laughs> Got it. So uh, Sam decides to escape... He plans an explosion. The bees get out, and I got a flashback to the Wicker Man. Yeah. The Nicolas Cage Wicker Man. Bees! But basically, Tim Thomerson does that exact same thing when the bees get out. He's like, the bees! (laughs) He's like swiping at his face, and then he gets out the next day, and he's just like covered in bee stings. Yeah. Some kind of cream. Yeah, some like ointment on him. Yeah, it's pretty hilarious. And Ginger has no remorse for him. She's like, oh... You don't look good. (laughs) And then she's like, would you like some sandwiches? And I'm like, what the fuck? It's like, this is my kind of movie. Um, Yeah, all this while, Sam thinks that uh, Miller Griffith's character is dead, too. Because he's led to believe that he was the only one to make it out of that uh, underground thing. But did you notice, as soon as he thought she was dead, that's when, like, he kicked in and started to become useful. He plans the escape... He commits the escape. He gets out. And the only reason they, uh, Six Winger Jake and Edith, which is, you know, uh, Melanie Griffith's character's name. I don't know if we mentioned that. Like, he just needs them as a ride. Right. At that point, he did all the work of the escape. But the the only reason he is putting in any work to escape is when he knows that nobody's going to come save him. (laughs) Because all the while, the rest of this movie, he is relying on them to come save him. And when he's like, they're dead, he's like, well, fuck, now I actually have to do something here. (laughs) This is part of the reason why this movie's interesting is, is like, it creates, like, a dialogue. Like, what is this movie doing? You know, it's Mm. wonderfully weird. But, so they run... They escape together. Six Finger Jake, I think, tells them to meet him at the gas station, but they end up detouring because they make out. Yeah. They're both into each other, and then she actually has Cherry 2000's memory disc, but doesn't tell him. Yeah, because he, he thought lost it, was, it. He thought it was lost when he got captured, but she's been holding on to it for him, but she didn't want to say anything. And because her, she's human. He asks her, like, why? Why would you withhold that from you? And she's obviously interested in him, but she's like, I don't know. I'm human. You know? I think that's great. That was great. Well, she's like acting on instinct. She's like, well, I want to jump your bones, so I don't want you to know about that. Right, right. See, that's what I feel like she has like teenager qualities, where she's just acting on impulse. Yes. The goons catch up to her. Some goons that Lester sent, they kill them. Uh, well, she kills him. Damn, she like pops them. And yeah. she's like, let's get the fuck out of here. Because she's mad at Sam. Then they go to the gas station, which has a guy named Snappy. And he runs a gas station and brothel, which I fucking love. It's so perfect 80s dystopian. Yes. 
he's just got a bunch of junk out there, like a junkyard. She's like, oh, I'm going to go fix up the plane. Uh, Snappy turns them into Lester, which I assume he would get a reward. But uh, Edith and Sam get away on the plane. Sadly, uh, Six Finger dies at this point, correct? He gets shot? Yes, Snappy shoots him in the back when yeah. when uh, Lester shows up. And Lester pops the prostitute that was with Snappy, which they cut out for the TV, uh, I read. For really? Cable TV. It's pretty violent. But, like, I love his, like, line, like, uh, if you want to, something like, get a personality. Hey, wait, listen, Lester, you know about the guys in the plane? They're going into the yard. I don't want to read them. You know, if we hurry up, we can catch up to them. Oh, my God, what happened to your face? You need to work at your personality. Let me give you some advice. Get a personality. Boom. Boom. And I was like, damn. He's... This movie's good. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty brutal. I'm surprised that didn't right there give them a rated R. I mean, there's a lot of implied sex and nudity in this movie. I'm honestly shocked that it's yeah. PG-13. We, we, we know we could never do this today. Well, it's also weird sadistic, which I think they would automatically now give a rated R because they um, don't understand it. Yeah. So rated R. Right. Yeah, no, like this movie would absolutely be misunderstood. So so they get up in the plane and they're like, let's go get Cherry 2000 at the factory. They go there and they get her. And oh, man, I love it. This is when you know it's a stunt man because Lester's men stop about a mile, mile or two outside the factory and get on ATVs. And I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> they don't do much in the ATVs. They just like fly across the desert. Right, they just still use it to get there quick. Yeah, it's still awesome. And, and then and then we just see a bunch of hitch... Uh, uh, we can see a bunch of goons just get laid, shot down by uh, Sam and Edith. Edith yeah. They just mow them down. Yeah, they just kill a bunch of goons and like they get on the plane to take off and leave. But when the three of them are on there, because Cherry's back on and functional and you know, she remembers him because he put the memory chip in there. Uh, there's too much weight in the plane. So one's got to go. And naturally, Edith sacrifices and then jumps out of the plane. But he's like, oh no, I want her to stay. Yeah, he ends up flying maybe back to Snappy's. I don't know where he flies. Which, by the way, apparently he can fly. I didn't know that. Well, I think this is when we learned he was in the... the is that when we learned he's a veteran? Yeah. Military veteran. And that's how we know he's able to fly. Oh, was he a pilot, maybe? Probably. I don't know if that was explicitly said, but when they talk about flying is when they mention that he was a veteran. So he drops Cherry 2000 off, which is just a complete moron. Yeah, she's just like, what's going on? But, like, she's just not programmed to deal with violence at all. She's just programmed for sex and love. Well, that's when he realizes, like, I can't be with someone like this. Like, when shit gets real, she's useless. Yeah. But Edith, on the other hand, is very capable mm-hmm. and awesome. Right. Okay. So choose the flesh over the metal, You're so right. to speak. And he drops her off. I do love the line. He's like, hey, Cherry, can you get me a Pepsi? And she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And like, and when Edith gets, he goes back around to save her, gets Edith back on the plane. Of course, they haven't, they, even though they've mowed down all the bad guys, they haven't quite got uh, Thomerson yet. They haven't gotten Lester yet. They think they killed him. He like fell through a window. Oh. He's still good. He's coming back. 
And the way they off him by smashing him into the statue of the woman was just wonderful. <laughs> yeah, was he like trying to get onto the plane and he yes. fell off? Yeah. He and was hanging yeah. on the end of the plane and they like swing him into this uh, woman statue and destroy him. <laughs> yeah, that was a good death. Uh, the first one though irritated me. I go, if that's the way Lester dies, I'm going to be pissed. No, of course not. He goes through the window and then you see his fucking hands come back up and he's all scarred up and stuff like that. Yeah. It's great. So he dies, then we get the sandwich line. Sam and Edith Go and live a happy life, as far as we know. They ride off into the sunset. And I'm assuming that Ginger and Cherry now run the 1950s hotel. Yeah, because they're just programmed to, like... Make sandwiches. Be these 50s housewives, so that's what they're going to do for everybody who's in this little commune. Yeah, because as far as we know, all the henchmen are dead. Yeah. Um, maybe there's one that hung back. Robert Zadar. <laughs> yeah. No, he's dead, too. We saw him get off. Oh, that's it? right. So he's gone, too. Damn, everyone's dead except the robots. Yeah, so they're going to have this like weird little robot 50s housewife world. It's going to be a paradise for people who love sandwiches. <laughs> yes. That um, ends our movie, and I would recommend this to any sci-fi fan. I would honestly recommend this to any movie fan, period, because there's so much here that no matter, even though it's such a weird fucking movie, it's so well done It'll hook you. Mainstream fans will get into this as well. Uh, I think this is this is a hard recommend. Like, it's for anybody. This is just a good time. I think this is a perfect party movie. Yeah. I think this is one of those movies, too, you put on at a party and you're like, what is this? But by the end, the party is silent and everybody's sitting around the TV watching it. Like, it goes from, like, a party to, like, let's, like, watch this. <laughs> What was the karate one that you did a trash movie night where it was a girl fighter, street fighter, and at the end the main guy dies in like a laundry mat. He gets hooked. Uh, undefeatable. This reminds me of Undefeatable, where where you could play it and it's so wonderfully weird. By the end, everyone would be paying attention. Right. Right. Absolutely. And probably cheering. Yes. And that's absolutely the kind of movie it is. So I think movies like that appeal to everybody in some way. So I yes. recommend this. All right, we'll move on to what's going in our museum. This is the second time I've had to reclaim my property from you. That belongs in a museum. So do you. This is the part of the show where we put something in our museum, negative or positive. You know how it works. You you listen to every episode. You better. Matt, <laughs> the difficult decision. What are you putting in for oh, Cherry 2000? There's so much here that I really like a lot. I think this is going to be a different choice for me. Usually I put like a character I really like or like uh, a scene I really like or something in there. But I'm going to put something very specific in there that I just really thought was cool the entire movie. I just want to put the car in the museum. The The Mustang is amazing. And like you see the inside of it. And it's all, of course, teched out. Uh, you can't even see out the windows. But it's all like, you know, computer controlled and everything like that. There's all these buttons. It looks like an airplane on the inside of it. But like this thing is a tank as it goes through everything. So I, I'm not even a car guy. But man... The car in this movie is so fucking cool. I'm going to put it in the museum. It's fair. It's a cool car. 
I think at one time this car was going to like lead this movie or be a main character or maybe a main character in another movie because mm. it is way too detailed. Yes. For how little it's in this film. Unfortunate as it may be that that is the case, I think that also helps the movie because in the scenes, is it super memorable? Well, it's rich. Right. Mine is going to be straight up Lester. Uh, we've said this multiple times. I wanted to put Edith in here and she could easily go in the museum and maybe I'll put both of them just because Lester is perfect. He reminds me of almost missing in action three when we did the Chuck Norris movie. Yeah, that villain. And his general whatever he was, was just like over the top, splendid, nom nom nom, perfect, trash. Yes. Yes. Like, it's not even trash. It's like fast food. It's just like, wow. Yes. You know what you're there for. Yes. But he's playing off Sam. Sam Treadwell, whatever his name is. David Andrews' character, which is a blank slate. And then you shove right in the middle of this a very charismatic Melanie Griffith. Mm-hmm. Who, we, I think we've mentioned it in every single one of these things like the before they were started saying, was fucking destined to be a superstar. By watching her in this movie, you're like, fuck, she is going to tear up Hollywood. Well, you could tell in her close-ups she was struggling. She needed some work with her close-ups. But when it came to, like, the kinetic energy and just kind of, like, the shine around her, yeah, she nailed it. Not only is she beautiful, but she was kind of owned every scene that she was the center of. She commands the screen, for sure. Uh, She was bound to be a superstar. So that will end it for Cherry 2000 and the end of Before They Were Stars Month. We had a good run. We had a lot of, we discovered a lot of stuff in these last couple films. And we had two sex robot films, which was not planned. Yeah, that's hilarious. Uh, But could not be more different of films. Both good, but could not be more different. (laughs) Ooh, before I forget, there are two like little bitty tidbits in this that are kind of interesting for you super movie nerds. One, Melanie Griffith was pregnant during the casting of this. So they put a clause in her contract, hey, you got to have the baby before this date. She did. Three weeks later, she was on set, best breastfeeding and starring in this film. That's incredible. Damn. She's a fucking rock star. Yeah. That is, that is really taking your craft serious. Yeah. I'm impressed. Uh, another one is Kevin Costner turned down the role of Sam Treadwell. He was going on to a, another popular movie. Maybe some of you have heard No Way Out. Mm-hmm. He decided to take that role. Good decision. Yeah, I like, I like uh, what's his name in this movie? Uh, David Andrews. Yeah. Sam Treadwell from Anaheim, as they full name him throughout the entire film. Yeah, what is it? I never got that. I love it. I'm is that something that you just they did in the future? I didn't catch that. I think that was just something they did with him. Like, that was who he was. He was, well, he's Sam Treadwell from Anaheim. Okay. Like, that's, that's who he is. <laughs> I, I love that shit. And for any of you big soundtrack fans out there, apparently the CD for this is incredibly rare. They only made 1,500, and this oh. is, like, known as one of the most collectible soundtracks out there. We gotta fight it. Send it to us. We oh, I'm it. not paying that money. Well, no, somebody else will and they'll send it to us. Oh, yes. Well, any of you charitable donors out there would like to spend a couple thou on eBay, please send it to us. Yes, we will listen to the CD and then treasure it forever. And you'll be our friends for a long time. 
Anyway, that will end it this week. Rate, review us on iTunes. It really does help. You can listen to us on Podbean, YouTube, Stitcher, Google Play, ton of them, all of them. Everything that you can listen to things on, we are there. Uh, please make sure to come back next week as we start our Soundtrack September, as we do uh, movies that feature theme songs on their soundtrack. Uh, we're kicking it off with Wild Wild West. No! <laughs> oh, Cisco, Cisco. <laughs> oh, no, I won't sing that song. You'll have to wait until next week. Yes, and then we'll sing the whole song. <laughs> All right, remember to be kind. And rewind. Mr. Paris, set a course. Set a course. Set a course for the unstoppable Jack and Jen podcasting the impossible. Star Trek Voyager being the material. Wine is the vehicle just like milk for your cereal. Here we go, blasting to the Delta Quadrant. Uncharted territory, but we're on it. Support me another glass of Cabernet, because it pairs with a different parts of the galaxy. Never in my life was a crew so brave. Never was a time that I lacked rosé. But you learn something new each and every day. To explore new things is a Starfleet way. Podcast hailing from the Geekscape Nation. Talking Star Trek with the wine persuasion. So you want to live long and prosper fine? Then you better tune in to Seven, Seven of Wine. And this is Seven of Wine, where we review an episode.